Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome, one and all, to everyone who's worshiping here in our makeshift sanctuary, in our activity center here. Welcome, one and all, who are worshiping online. We are delighted that everybody can join together by the power of the Spirit and worship God here at Germantown Presbyterian Church and with GPC online as well. So welcome, one and all, to this very special day of worship here. We're certainly grateful you are joining us, and if you are worshiping online, you can go to our website and you can download the bulletin to this service. You can follow along with everything, participate with everything there at home, and we will be worshiping together uh, in spirit as you do that by downloading the bulletin for today's, for today's uh, worship service. Also, please do sign the online friendship pad if you're worshiping with us online. There's a tab on the uh, homepage of our website. And you can click on that and sign the uh, online friendship pad. And that is a treasure for, for all of us as we look at that during the week. We see who's worshiping with us, any visitors who may be worshiping with us. And we love to, to lift you all up in prayer as well. So thank you for signing the online friendship pad. Uh, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Uh, it's, uh, of course, uh, always a pleasure to welcome people who are coming in from out of town, who are back and have come home to uh, worship with mom on Mother's Day. Other people may be at home. You've come into town to worship as well. So happy Mother's Day to one and all. We're grateful for all the mothers among us. Uh, and if you're like me and your mother and stepmother are both gone, then today could be a day of fond remembrance as well. So we do want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all. Speaking of mothers, there's a baby rose on our baptismal font, and you can see that. And that rose uh, is given this morning to the glory of God and the celebration of Lincoln William Thomas, the son of Amy and Trey Thomas. So congratulations to Amy and Trey, and we're grateful for little Lincoln Williams' birth date on April the 28th, and someone told me, Gerald told me, that's also Trey's birthday. So father and son will share a birthday, a good reminder to that son later on in life that it's his dad's birthday as well. And of course, uh, the, the family means so much to us in our church that uh, little Lincoln William is also grandson of Agnes Thomas and the grandson of Laura and Bob Schreiner, of course, and then the great-grandson of Bill and Betty Potter and uh, other uncles and aunts and certainly the larger church family along with his family uh, rejoice in the celebration of his birth. Pray for him and lift the whole family up in your prayers this week and uh, join all of us as we celebrate little Lincoln William's birth into this world. We're so grateful for all of our worship leaders uh, who take part in each service, of course, and our musicians are standing at the ready. You already heard Laura on the flute, and they're, of course, uh, always uh, eager and ready to worship and lead us in worship. But yesterday was a special day for two of them, the doctors, Shannon and Aaron Redburn. Shannon and Aaron, right here uh, to my right. They both received their doctorates yesterday, and so uh, thank you and congratulations. We're grateful for all our musicians and all that you do to lead us in worship. Recognize the special day that yesterday was uh, for both of you, and we celebrate with you, doctor and doctor, 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 and doctor, Redburn over there. Thank you. Please come back this evening online or in person for our evening worship service. That's at 6 o'clock, and come back and join in that special uh, time of worship. It's our blended worship service, some traditional, some contemporary, but a special worship service this evening at 6 p.m. Boy, how can we say thank you enough to our Nakomi, uh, all those who organized Nakomi for us last week. Our church family camp was last weekend at Camp Nakomi just across the Tennessee River, and our Congregational Life Committee. Uh, I know a few of them are here today. Laura's on that over there. Um, Anna White and Christopher Greco, they did a huge, also a huge effort in organizing us. So many other people. It was really special. It was just a great weekend. And uh, every weekend is unique, and every one of them is special. But that was one of the best for me personally. And I think for a lot of people, it was just wonderful to be, uh, to be as a church, uh, many of us as a church family together um, in that special place, not wearing a mask for almost three days, that was a special benefit, all of those good things. And so thank you to everybody who had a part in organizing that great weekend for us last weekend. 
Our Communications and Technology Committee is uh, putting together a survey. We want to know how you think we communicate and where we communicate well and where we could do better. You may have seen my Friday note that outlined now the 10 or 12 or 15 different ways we try to communicate everything that happens here as a congregation to the congregation, and there's so much involved, so many different ways that we communicate, and so you'll be receiving an email, and we'll have some paper copies around here too, but you'll be receiving an email about how do we communicate and how can we communicate better, and do you like it on paper, like this bulletin that's got a million announcements in it? Do you like it electronically? Do you like social media? All these different ways, so please be on the lookout for our survey that will guide us in helping communicate better as, as a whole church together. Uh, Also, final note, um, our coronavirus recovery and response team um, is going to be, is is coming online again, and uh, we'll be meeting this Wednesday night at 6.30, and if you're on that, you should have received an email. It's the chair of each deacon and elder committee, plus some staff, plus some of our medical personnel, um, and that we want to, to obviously note that things are opening up again in our society and in the world around us. And we want to find ways as a congregation to, to wrestle with all the different questions of when and how as a congregation we can open up as well. And I know those questions are on your mind and heart. You know, when do we go back to two services? When do we not have to wear masks? When can we uh, be in closer uh, rooms and meetings with each other. Um, all of these. Different, when can we serve food again? When can we have Gibson's donuts on Sunday mornings again? The most crucial question in the whole congregation right now. I can assure you. Um, believe me, nobody, nobody wants this church to open up normally again more than I do, and more than our leadership, our ministers, more than you. We want to open up as normally as possible, as soon as possible. But there are a lot of factors to consider. If we go back to two worship services, what does that do to our Sunday school schedule? What does that do to those of us who teach Sunday school? How do we divvy up our time and our talents and our people? So many different questions, which is why we want the Holy Spirit to guide us as we collectively pool our wisdom together and try to figure this out. So um, we appreciate the, the wide variance of viewpoints that people are eager to share with us on all things uh, COVID-related, and we take all of those in, and that group will meet this Wednesday night. I don't know that immediate decisions will come out of that, but there's a group of people that's thinking about this, praying about this, working on this, and trying to figure this out on behalf of our congregation with, most importantly, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So thank you for all of your patience. We're going to make it through all of this. We're going to be back in our sanctuary soon. They repainted it this week. So uh, it's, it's coming online, and we are going to be back as normal as possible. I don't know about like our personalities, but <laughs> I won't be normal, but uh, we'll do things as normally as possible as soon as we can. So thank you for that rather long-winded announcement. And now that our announcements are over, we can focus on why we're really here this morning, and that's to worship God. So I invite you for this moment just to take a deep breath and to let God's Spirit come among you, and to prepare your hearts and minds to worship our loving and almighty God.
God invites us into a time of worship and praise. God calls us to join with others in the body of Christ to sing of God's holiness and love. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. Sing to the Lord a new song, for God the Lord has done marvelous things. The Lord has made his salvation known and has revealed righteousness to the nation. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let us worship God. came into the world to reconcile us to God and to one another. Out of our need for grace, let us confess our sin together. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. We love you, yet our hearts are so fickle. We change moods like the weather, and our faith varies according to our circumstances. Please forgive our sins and do not hold our lack of faith against us. Help us to be more like Christ in how we deal with those around us, especially people we find difficult to love. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God has mercy on us through Jesus Christ. Through Christ's obedience and death, we have forgiveness. Through his resurrection, we have new life before God. Amen.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and also with you. As our children come forward, please greet those around you with a wave. Also, please remember everyone in our church family. Pray for them and extend your love to them on this day. Please call your friends in Christ and check on them and their well-being. Well, good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you today, and it's a very special day today. What is today? Mother's Day. Have you hugged your mom today? Yes, yes, a few of you. So don't forget to hug your mom today because it's a very special day for her, okay? I wanted to talk about moms and dads a little bit. Um, God has a, a very special place in his heart for mothers and fathers who try to teach their children about God. And the Bible tells us, God tells us in the Bible, he says, for you as children to honor your father and mother, and then you will live a long, full life in the land of the Lord that your God is giving you. So our moms and our dads are such special people, and we want to especially remember mothers on this special day today. So raise your hand if your mom kind of has a big purse like this. Yes, moms carry around lots of things because moms have to be prepared, right? They are always thinking about little situations that are going to come up. So I've got lots of things in my bag and my purse, and I was going to see if we could call, pull out a few things real quick and talk about how moms help us, okay? So who wants to come up and pull something out of my special bag? Okay, Joseph, come on up. Hairbrush. Sometimes moms pull these out at special moments when they ha she has to brush her hair. Got to look good, right? Yes. All right, who else wants to come up? All right, Talmadge, come on. Oh, what is it? Kleenex. In case somebody has a tear or a runny nose, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Who else wants to come up? Darcy, you want to come up? Okay. We have a coin purse because sometimes we get into a financial emergency and we need a little bit of money, right? And then we have a mirror, because sometimes mom has to look at herself or look at you, get you to look in the mirror and make sure that you're looking okay. Got her. Okay, one more thing. Who else wants to come up? Okay, Jean, come on up. And of course, moms carry around a little Bible in her bag, because our moms and our dads are trying to... Teach us the right way to go, which is God's way. Right? Moms, carry Bible in your bag? Of course. <laughs> All right, so let's make sure that we celebrate our moms today, and let's make sure that we follow God's path that she is working to teach you. Will you bow your heads, and will you say a prayer with me? Pray after me. Dear God, we thank you today for our godly mothers. We are thankful they are always prepared to help and to lead us on the right path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let us pray. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as we read these scriptures and as the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts, and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 17, the first eight verses. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan for perpetual holding, and I will be their God. Amen. Our New Testament lesson comes from the book of Acts, this wonderful story about the evolving and the growing church in the New Testament in the first century, just after Jesus' time with them. And so this comes from the Acts, book of Acts, chapter 10, reading starting in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand now that God shows no partiality, but in every nation among Anyone who fears him and does what is right, that person is acceptable to God. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil and God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to those of us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded, astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they invited him to stay for several days. Now there's an important word in there at the very beginning that God shows no partiality. And this is a larger theme in the New Testament, so I want to add one more New Testament reading to our reading of God's Word this morning, and it comes from James chapter 2. You don't have to look it up. I'll just read it. It says this. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? 
For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes comes in, if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has God not chosen what is poor in the world to be rich in faith, and to be heirs of the kingdom. But if you have dishonored the poor, is it not the rich who oppress you? It is not they who drag you into court. Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name invoked for you? Friends, do not show partiality. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and in this sermon series that we are in right now called Belong, Believe, Bless, we have been trying to see how the word of God, the word of the Lord, informs us and how interrelated these three words are for all of us, to belong, to believe, and then to bless. These are absolutely essential for each one of us. We know these three words, they're so interrelated, and that's what, that's what we've been trying to do in this sermon series. And so, first of all, that word belong, that word belong is so important to our own identity. To whom do you belong? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the 23rd Psalm and that phrase, especially that phrase, uh, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death talked about what it means to belong to God and to be protected through any circumstance and through any situation in life, to know that God is with me, that God guides me. That is the one to whom I belong. When I make it through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not because of me and my strength or my perseverance or my self-esteem or anything that's my, my, mine anything in me, when I make it through the valley of the shadow of death, this psalm rightly says it is because of God and who God is and that I belong to God. That's when I make it through the valley of the shadow. In just a few minutes, we're going to use my favorite confession of faith as part of our affirmation of faith. It's from the Heidelberg Catechism, the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, and it was written during the Reformation, and it's the first question because those reformers were trying to answer the question, to whom do you belong as a Christian? To whom do you belong? And you'll see in just a minute as we use that great affirmation of faith, it says, I belong to no one more important than Jesus Christ. That is where my identity is found. It's such a basic question for all of us. To whom do you belong? Do you belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, or do you belong to yourself and your own confidence and your own pride and your own ego and your own choices? Maybe you belong to someone else, and you're always trying to sort of define yourself by whether they affirm you, whether they pay attention to you, whether they like you. A lot of people Do you live for the approval of others? And they kind of belong to them in that way. You can belong to your possessions or your wealth or your money. And for a lot of people, that sounds backwards. No, all those things belong to me. Well, not necessarily if they dominate your thinking. And if you're constantly thinking about your salary or your portfolio or your house or your possessions, your car, what drives your decisions, those things own you. and you belong to them and not the other way around. When we use this Heidelberg Catechism, we say, I belong first and foremost and always through every situation in life to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that question of identity and to whom you belong is absolutely essential because it will then start to shape and change how you think and what you think and what you believe. It influences what you believe and what you think about. I will think differently from the rest of the world when I belong to God. I will look at my life and I will look at your life and who you are in a different way. I have a different 
approach to you than what some of my natural instincts might be. I'll have a different way of interacting with you because I belong to God. It really is a belief-grounding identity to belong to God. It does change what you think. You won't get caught up in all kinds of cultural winds that blow in all sorts of directions on all kinds of issues or topics because you will be grounded in Christ and who God is. Think about it. Think about it. There is no way that I can belong to a Savior who gave up His own life for me and then also be greedy and selfish. I can't be ungrateful if I belong to a Savior who sacrificed all He had for me. There's no way I can belong to a God who created everybody in His image and then harbor hatred or contempt for some other people for an arbitrary reason. Jesus Himself, think about what He said on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. If Jesus is willing to forgive the people who were killing him while they were killing him, how can I harbor a grudge and not want to be reconciled and not want to forget, forgive other people? That question of to whom you belong will indeed always instruct what you believe. And then it will determine what you do. It will determine what you do. It will determine To to use one word, it will determine your ethics. It will determine your ethics, what you do. Ethics is originally a Greek word. It meant the science of the moral life. It also meant what your nature or your disposition was. Your ethics is related to your nature or your disposition. Is it honest or dishonest? Are you by nature compassionate or cruel? Do you cheat people in business because you're selfish and greedy? Do you take advantage of people because you can? Do you help alleviate suffering and strive for what is right because you empathize with people? What is your nature? It's a little more complicated for us as Christians because the answer to all of those questions for us is is yes. It's yes. We are sometimes honest and compassionate. Sometimes we strive for what is right. But here, we know something the ancient Greeks didn't know, that we also have a sin nature. It is part of us deep down in who we are. And so sometimes we are greedy and selfish and we take advantage of others. And we do lie. We do all of that. But knowing that we belong to God and learning what we believe and and knowing how to think through Christ's instructions will then change us to have the right ethics and the right disposition and the nature that more and more reflects who Christ is. Talk about someone who has a good work ethic. Ever heard that? The good old work ethic, and we think of them as having hard work, that they will go the extra mile. Your ethic, your work ethic, your ethic as a Christian is always the third word in this sermon series. It's always the word bless. It's always to bless. That's our ethic, to bless others. We give, we work, we, we volunteer, we look for people and places where there is suffering and wrong, and we, we try to do what we can to bless and make right and step in and bless wherever we can. Belong, believe, bless. That's who we are. And we learn to whom we belong and what to believe and and how to bless by looking at Scripture and and by looking especially at the life of the early church in places like Acts 10, this great chapter in the New Testament. If you read throughout the whole New Testament, you'll see how Christians found their identity in God and how that fueled them. And the book of Acts is such a great place to go to, to learn so much about the first Christians and what they believed and and where their hearts were and how God was constantly shaping them and reshaping them and and just molding them according to His ways and His Word. They had to be formed and reformed. And you see it here with Peter. Peter, I mean, think about this. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He walked with Him. He knew Him. He, He loved Him. And yet even Peter's thinking, his mind and his heart had to be reshaped by the Holy Spirit in the life of the early church. You see, what Peter had to learn in this instance, so that the New Testament church could then go on and thrive, Peter had to learn that God offers grace to everybody. 
God offers grace to anyone and everyone. And I know we talk about that word a lot. It's in our hymns, it's in our readings, it's in our sermons a lot. Grace. We need to hear its definition over and over and over again. Grace is God's free and undeserved love poured out to us through Jesus Christ. God's love poured into our lives through Jesus Christ. God's forgiveness, God's God's mercy that's just so freely offered to each one of us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, here is grace given by God to you. For God so loved the world. While we were still sinners, says Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And that means all of us. Christ died for us. God loves us too much to allow us to stay in a state of sin and rejection and disobedience. And so God always moves first. This first move of grace by God is always God's move towards us. Now, Peter and those first Christians, they experienced that. I mean, they knew that. They walked and they talked with Jesus. They experienced this love and this mercy offered by God through Christ. And they could connect it to this long history. They could connect it to their long Jewish history where they could see God's progression starting from the very particular, the one person, Abraham, that we read about in Genesis 17. Starting from the one person, Abraham, over the long haul of history to bring salvation to the world through a Messiah. And that Jesus was that Messiah, that He answered all of their hopes and aspirations. They came to believe in Him as the one who had come to save them from their sins. What they had trouble believing and understanding was that Christ also came to save others. All others. Non-Jewish Gentiles. It's hard to overstate how central the Jewish-Gentile conflict is in the New Testament. It is in all the Gospels. It's there in all of, of those letters. It's at the core of the early church's life, this Jewish-Gentile conflict. Peter and James, think about it. Peter, James, all of those first Christians, they were Jewish converts to Christianity. They were Jewish Christians. But they were Jewish ethnically, culturally, and religiously. They were Jewish. They looked back to stories like Abraham in Genesis 17. They saw that God chose Abraham to be the father of the Jewish People. And so God did show a kind of favoritism. God showed a kind of partiality to Abraham and then through him to all the Jewish people. God chose his people, them, to be these special covenant partners. He would be their God. They would be, be his people. They would live by his ways. They would live in ways that other nations didn't live. They would worship in ways that other people didn't worship because they were God's people. Their behavior, their ethics, what they did in the world was to reflect the love and the holiness of the God they worshipped. They were, in fact, God's special chosen people to whom God showed partiality. So, no wonder, no wonder in the life of the early church, they were of the impression that God showed partiality and favoritism because He did. And He blessed those Jewish people, and they benefited from it. But what they didn't realize in this moment of history, that moment in which they lived, and especially through Christ and His incarnation, His ministry, His life and His death, what they didn't realize was now God was breaking open that partiality and favoritism to the whole world. Now, because of Christ, that grace was opened up for everyone. And those Jewish Christians, they struggled. They struggled. They had a hard time accepting Gentile Christians because for so long they had seen themselves culturally, ethnically, economically, religiously, all as God's special recipients of God's grace. And now they had a hard time understanding that God was opening up salvation and giving grace also to Gentiles in addition to them. And you have to say this, it's obviously true, their ethic was wrapped up in their ethnic identity. Jews were God's people ethnically, and that led them to a certain ethic 
of dealing with Gentiles. I mean, it's just one letter. It's an N slipped in there in the word ethic in English to make ethnic, and it was similar in a way in the Greek also, that ethnic in Greek literally meant the pagans, and it meant the heathens, that they were foreigners, they were a goy in, in their Hebrew, they were Jewish, they were outsiders, not a God worshiper, and so they were not to be trusted. And they persecuted, they did, these outsiders, they persecuted the Jews in many places and hated them. So to these faithful Jews, these hostile foreign pagans were unclean because they didn't follow the Jewish law. They were mistrusted and they were feared. Turns out, of course, to be a faithful Jew and then a faithful Jewish Christian was to be very wary of Gentiles, to avoid them, definitely to keep them at an arm's length, every part of their, look, every part of their outlook on life, socially, religiously, economically, culturally, ethnically, ethically, told them to stay away from Gentiles. But then God did something new. God came in the person of Jesus Christ. And God blew wide open the offer of grace. It was so graceful, it was so hard to believe at first. But Gentiles who had never cared about God before, who had worshipped all of those Greco-Roman gods, they never cared about Yahweh, the Jewish God before, but now they were believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus and some of those Gentiles, those ethnically unclean pagans, they weren't pagans anymore. They were praying to the same Jesus that his own disciples prayed to. They were reading his teachings. They were now following his ways, just as his Jewish Christian followers were doing. They were coming into Jewish Christian homes, something that was never allowed before. They were breaking bread. They were sitting at table, fellowshipping, singing hymns, worshiping Jesus. Their ethic of loving and worshiping and blessing now became the same as other Christians. Even though they were so different from them, they weren't heathens anymore. And Peter was so used to being a recipient of God's grace and favor that he couldn't and wouldn't believe that God would bring Gentiles to faith in the same Jesus that he knew and loved. It took a vision. And this is what Acts 10 is all about, this great vision given here in Acts 10. It took this vision to reshape his heart. We didn't read the whole of Acts 10. The first part of this chapter is about a vision that Peter has that God gives him of all of these different animals, clean according to the Torah and unclean. And God says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't eat anything unclean. I've never done that in my whole life. And God says, do not call something unclean that I have now made clean. And of course, it was a vision about Jewish-Gentile relationships. And Peter is invited to a man's house, a man named Cornelius, who is a Gentile, but who wants to worship God and know more about Christ. And then Peter understands. He says, I understand. I understand. Now God shows no favoritism. Now God shows no favoritism, but is available for anyone and everyone who will accept Him. Anyone who fears, in other words, anyone who loves God and respects Him, anyone who does what is right, meaning anyone who tries to get their ethics in line with Christ's, that person is acceptable to God. Anybody can receive God's grace. Anyone can belong to God. Anyone can become Christ's follower. Friends, we are such a partiality-loving people. We all do it. I think that's part of our sin nature, not part of our gospel nature, but part of our sin nature to show partiality to people based on superficial reasons. Sometimes we think, well, God did that. God did that in the Old Testament, but now we know that God is not showing partiality. God does not offer grace to someone for any circumstances in their life, not because they are well-educated, because they're rich, because they're attractive, or where they live, or they vote one way or another, because they believe in the right things. No. You can also flip it around and say that God does not withhold grace 
from someone because of something in a person's life, some sin or some attribute of theirs. No. No. God offers grace to anyone and to everyone. There's nothing within you or me that would cause God to give grace or to withhold grace. God shows no partiality. And when Peter realizes this, it totally changed him. It changed him. It changed the whole New Testament church. It changed their understanding of the God to whom they belong. It changed what they believe about God. And then it changed how they would go out and bless the world. And they did it in a new and incredible way. Christian friends, don't show partiality. Don't show partiality to people based on superficial reasons outside of them, their attributes or who you think they are or who they are not. It was a problem in the early church. That's why we read that portion of James. They were showing partiality in the early church to people based on their wealth, based on their status. It happens in 1 Corinthians. We are sinful and so we show partiality because we usually want something out of it from that other person. Don't show partiality. Be like Christ and be like God at this moment of history and break your whole life open to offering grace and love to anyone and to everyone. Anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. Believe and belong and bless. Belong to this impartial God. Believe in Christ and follow His ways and let your ethic be one that blesses anybody and everybody around you through Christ's love. Amen. As God has spoken to us, let's reaffirm what we believe and recommit ourselves to Jesus Christ by saying what we believe in the Heidelberg Catechism. So would you please stand as you are able and join me as we pray together. Family of faith, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid all my sins with his precious love and has set me free from interior He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the you please be seated. And reminded as we heard the word of God read and proclaimed, we also heard a rumbling of a storm and a little rain outside. But the good news is, is it's not just water that's falling this morning. It's the goodness of God speaking to us and nourishing us in this place. So would you join me in a prayer? God, we remember this day how good you actually are. Not as a concept, not as a construct, but as a lived experience. And so we thank you. We also remember before you on this beautiful day all the mothers and maternal figures in our lives who care for us and nurture us and share a special kind of love that can only come from you. We also remember those for whom this day is a moment of grief, a tender place where there is pain. And we ask that you would rush in like a mighty water and be there with them in the stillness and in the silence. 
We pray for all of those who are still suffering from illness and loneliness and rejection due to COVID and due to so many aspects of our broken life. We lift before you your body here on earth, your church, and we invite you and beg of you to empower us to be your witnesses, to go and bless all people. For as the scriptures have taught us and so you have allowed us to experience, we love because you first loved us. And so we lift to you all these prayers and the multitude unspoken with the words that you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As God has blessed us with his love and his goodness, we have an opportunity to not just be passive recipients of God's love, but active participants, ambassadors of it to all people. And so one of the many ways that we worship God is with the tangible portions of our lives, through the giving of tithes and offerings to God. For those of you joining us in person, you can give easily through the offering plates at the open doors. And for those of you who are joining us in spirit from home, you can easily give on the donate tab on our website. Let us now continue our worship by giving to God from the depths of our hearts.
with me? God, we do in fact praise you for all of your mighty and your merciful acts. And so we invite you to take and receive these gifts for your glory. Bless them, magnify them according to your will so that all others may find their wholeness and their peace in your steadfast love. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. Christian friends, remember the words of the New Testament. Keep alert, stand firm, be courageous and strong, but let everything you do be done in love. And so go out now to love and serve the Lord. Go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen.